Are you guys ready to get in the Word? This is our second Sunday streaming now. So if you don't know, if you just go to revival.me, it'll go right to our streaming page. Um, or you can go to our website, encounterlv.com. There may be people watching now. I don't know. Um, I don't think we posted it again. But uh, little by little, we're going to uh, spread the news so people can join us online if they're not able to make it in person. Or maybe they're out of state and they want to check out what God is doing. That's why it's revival.me. How many believe the Lord is moving in our midst? Amen. Two people right here. One right here. Can I get a third? Sold with their hand home. Revival, glory to God. Thanks. Thank you for helping, for backing me up. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I know some of you right now that are Pentecostal just said, oh, glory. Acts chapter 2. Who thought that? I know there's a couple Pentecostal old school. I know Mama Lori's a Baptocostal, so she might have thought it halfway. She's half spirit-filled. The other half, it's doctrine. And we're trying to get rid of that. I'm just kidding. Acts chapter 2. Man, I have this passion, this stirring in me. um, And I don't know what kind of series this is going to turn into or not, but I want to talk about the early church. And I want to look at some of the things that we see in the early church and how we can see God bring that into our culture. How many would say that sounds really good? How many believe that God is restoring his DNA from what Jesus commissioned in his apostles to make disciples of all the nations? That God is actually restoring the same conditions in the book of Acts. Signs, wonders, the kingdom, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. And I believe this morning, I'm going to just kind of kick this off. I have a lot of content, so I don't know how far I'm going to get. But I'm going to read a little bit of Acts here. And and we're going to focus on one verse. And we're going to explore. There's a lot in this one verse. But we're going to explore this verse. And I'm going to just start by one portion of this verse. And we're going to unpack and talk about the early church. How many ever wish that they could go back and sit around the fire. I just imagine a fire. I don't, Jesus with his disciples. For some reason, that's what I imagine. But how many would love to go back and just be one of the disciples? Right? Have you ever thought that? Like, I want to I be there. Well, in the Spirit, the same Holy Spirit on, on the day of Pentecost that filled the whole house which they were in and brought tongues of fire upon each of them, the same Spirit lives in us. The same Holy Spirit is developing His fruit, His gifts, His culture, the culture of the kingdom in the earth. So what we need to do is be open, and we also need to study the Word of God, but we have to be open to heaven's culture. So I want to I explore that, and uh, I want to read this, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to go after it. Are you ready? I want, we're just going to read a couple verses here. Verse uh, 40 of Acts chapter 2. Let's start there. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Version, not virgin. This is a virgin Bible. It's holy. It's a holy Bible. Um, So Acts chapter 2. You can't stop when I say stuff like that. You have to keep going. It throws people off. Uh, Let's read from verse 40. So if you want to put it up there, you can. Acts chapter 2, verse 40. And with many other words, he, speaking of Peter, testified 
and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. On that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and prayers. Verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Let's stop right there. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We open our hearts. We open our hearts and we say, Lord, speak to your church, your bride that you're washing with the water of your word, your bride that is raised up and seated with you in heavenly places, your bride that is dressed in white robes of righteousness, washed in the holy blood of the lamb. We open our hearts and we say, come and speak to your bride this morning. Our ears are open. Our hearts are drawing near. We thank you for what you're going to do this morning in Jesus mighty name. Now give God a big shout of praise. Come on. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. I want to focus on verse 42, and I really like it in the New American Standard. Um, I didn't read it to you in that, but in the New American Standard, verse 42 says, they were continually devoting themselves. Will you say that with me? Say, continually devoting themselves. I want to talk about devotion and what that word means. I I have this... uh, we're going we're gonna to break down this verse and talk about the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. But I want to start by focusing on a continual devotion. Just the devotion of the early church. You know, uh, I've, I've had people make fun of me, or at least describe me when I'm preaching. And a dear brother in the Lord says, when you preach, it's like drinking from a, a, a fire hose. And, and it's like trying to drink from a hose that has all this water pressure. And he says, you have so much content in your messages, you don't even give us a chance to say amen sometimes. And he's sharing this with me. And he says, sometimes you'll say something and we're still chewing on it. And you're like, can I get an amen? And we're still trying to digest what you just said. We don't even have an opportunity to say amen because what you said is just barely sinking in our hearts. So this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to take my time with the content that the Lord has given me. How many would say, that sounds like a good idea? Okay. Some of you have really hungry spirits. Some of you just like to eat. Little, some of you like to chew on your food a little better. That's better because you digest your food better that way. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break down this verse to you. But we're going to focus on the one part where it says they continually devoted themselves. I'm thinking about this whole picture of the early church. Um, Jesus spent three years discipling 12 men and others, but mainly predominantly 12 people. He had many followers. We all understand that his ministry for three years uh, dealt with him loving people, signs and wonders. You know, the disciples eating with him, living with Jesus. And how many know that discipleship is life on life and relational? It is not just a Sunday morning. You know, the way that we see church today um, is much different than the way it was in the early church or the modeling of discipleship. And, and I believe that the Lord is restoring us back to what he originally intended. It's kind of like um, in, in our actual DNA that we have. 
your DNA code will not reproduce. Your cells will not reproduce if it's damaged. It actually has like a safety net, and it's a protocol God designed in us, and we were created, that your DNA, your cells will not reproduce unless they are healthy and whole. And so what the Lord is doing right now in the earth is he's restoring our DNA code as disciples. How many would say amen? And the Lord wants us to to grab a hold of the purity that was released in the early church. I believe it's important that we understand what, how the church looked. I mean, what it, how did they have church? Have you ever wondered? Like, I, w- I want to go back and I want to look and how did they pray? I want to hear. And I'm sure some of their culture was involved. We understand they, they spoke different languages and, and some of the, uh, their culture was much different than it is here and even in other countries. Um, but aside from just the culture, what, what were their hearts like? I, I mean, what was it like to... To, to break bread, or how did they how did they come to the table of the Lord? You know, was it was it like this big extravagant thing where everyone bowed down first, and was it ritualistic, or was it organic life? Like, was it like coming to a table like we do when we go to Grimaldi's and we break bread with some really good New York style pizza? I don't know, but I want to know, and I believe it's important that our hearts are stirred to to desire to see what the early church was like, so God can repair some of the lost DNA. There's been some damaged DNA. And I think about this whole, this whole uh, couple chapters of Acts. The foundation of the birthing of the church. Jesus, he, he dies, he's buried, he conquers death, he takes on the sin of the world, he sheds his blood, offering himself to the Father. The Father is pleased with this offering. And, and it, it's a new covenant. It's a, a blood that was shed for our, uh, this covenant that we have with God. Where God says, I won't remember your sin. I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. He resurrects from the grave. He ascends into heaven. He literally disarms and defeats Satan and all his authority. Amen. And he completely... Uh, defeats the enemy. He ascends into heaven and then he sends the Holy Spirit that proceeds from the Father. And this is, he's reigning. His kingdom reigns. There's no longer a kingdom of Satan. The Satan is no longer, that's only referred in the Bible one time. The kingdom of Satan. It's totally ended. And here we have a new day, a new church, a new people arising. Can you imagine the anticipation of them in in the 10-day period after Jesus ascends into heaven, and they're praying and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. I mean, we have the Holy Spirit, but they're waiting on the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until I endue you with power from on high. Just tarry and wait. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. He taught. You read the book of John 14, 15, 16, 17. You read about the Holy Spirit. He began to teach. He's going to stick to you like super glue. He's going to teach you. He's the spirit of truth. He will never leave you as an orphan. I'm not leaving you, but I'm sending the Holy Spirit so that I can be with all of you at one time. And so there's this anticipation. And in Acts chapter 2, we understand that as they're waiting on the Lord, if you read Acts chapter 1, verse 14, I want to turn there. I want to read this to you real quick. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. You know, it's interesting to me that he begins to, Luke is writing, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he talks about the kingdom and the Holy Spirit. Because you cannot separate the kingdom of God and the Holy Spirit. Because where he manifests his spirit, 
he is, he's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. Do you know that he pours out his spirit on all flesh all the time? Right now, God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. On the whole world, God is pouring out his spirit. His kingdom is advancing. And so this book is the beginning of the reign of this kingdom through his church. Now, the church and the kingdom are not the same thing. Hello? Did you know that? Okay, I'm going to make sure you know that. The church, sometimes we get that confused. And we, we, don't, we forget our place. See, when we think that we're the kingdom, then we will begin to exude the wrong type of authority in the earth. Remember, Jesus told the apostles, they're like, I want to sit at your right hand. And who's going to sit at your right hand? James and John, the sons of thunder, arguing with Jesus and the apostles. And they're like, no, we are the ones. We're the sons of thunder. He was actually telling them that because they were wild, right? But they're like, we're the sons of thunder. The Bible says, Jesus said this. He says, you know, the way that you rule in the kingdom is not the way that the Gentiles rule. It's not the same as this culture. God came through Jesus, to bring a new culture, the culture of heaven. And you read about the Holy Spirit, and you read about, uh, you know, the kingdom of God. But I want to read verse 14, because this, uh, this is very important for us to understand uh, how the early church functioned. Verse 14 says, They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with all his brothers. So there was about, the Bible says a couple of verses before this, there was about 120 of them in what's called the upper room. It says they were all with one accord. Now the word, the word right there that says they all continued, it's the same word in the Greek that's translated sometimes continually devoting themselves. It's a long word. I'm not going to try to pronounce it to you. I don't need to teach you Greek right now. But it's the same word, this devotion. What does it mean to devote? What does, what does that even mean, devotion? I want to define that for you, but I want you to understand the Bible says that they were of one mind. The word literally denotes uh, like a musical harmony or a musical unison. Like their hearts were literally singing the same song, if you could put it in that, in that way. Their hearts were joined. How many have ever heard us say that? Or you heard me preach on joining your hearts. Now, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, I'm going to teach you. I want this series or this, this topic that we're going to dive into, I want to give you practical ways to understand what does it mean to join my heart with somebody? Because sometimes it's just, you know, we, we have uh, things to... We have like different things to describe, uh, you know, illustrations and stuff like that. But I, I'm, I'm trying to help you understand what that actually means to join your heart with someone else. I mean, we can join hands with somebody, but that doesn't mean our hearts are joined. So what does it mean to live from the heart and live as one like the early church where our hearts are singing the same song? Because when that happens, it's very important to understand when that happens, there's, there is a divine synergy. There's a divine precipitation. It's the same way that, you know, we could be in a desert place and literally the climate would change if clouds rolled in and began to rain down. How many know that if that happened continually, Vegas would turn from a desert place into a very green area? And in the spirit, that's what happens when we join our hearts. God comes in his glory, his kabod glory. There's a a manifestation of the presence of God. That's another thing I want to touch on for a minute. You know, today in church, we think, oh, 
God's everywhere. And, and it's this teaching of the word omnipresent. You know, that word is not in the Bible. It's actually taught from one of the Psalms, and, and, and it's a Greek word to describe God being all places at once because He's infinite and all that. Now, in, in one sense, God holds everything together. He is everywhere, but He's not everywhere in the same sense. Amen? Not at me if you agree. If you don't, then go like this. Okay, nobody's disagreeing. Because I could go a little further and teach you. He's not everywhere in the same sense. Now, the early church, as they're sitting in here praying, they believed the manifest presence of God was coming. The same dwelling, the word dwell, shekah, where where the Hebrew, the ancient rabbis get the word shekana, like shekana glory. Have you ever heard that phrase? That phrase, Shekinah, that word's not in the Bible. It's an ancient rabbinic understanding of the tangible glory of God, the manifest presence of God. In other words, God holds everything together because He created everything. Colossians 1 says, Jesus, He holds everything together, like every cell, every, uh, the the proton, neutron, electron, every subatomic particle, God holds it all together because He is the creator of the universe. Amen to that. But there is something about the, that we have to get in this. Not only was there harmony, but there was a divine precipitation that they understood that the same glory that dwelt between the cherubim on top of the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant was coming to rest upon them, was coming to fill them. So here's the way some of the early church looked at it. When they gathered, it wasn't just a potluck, but they gathered and there was this sacred space. Say that, say sacred space. Some of the church, they still to this day will call it that. When they come together, they're sacred space. And so there was this anticipation in their hearts when they gathered. Oh, we're the, we are literally living stones. It says this in 1 Peter. It says this in Ephesians. Paul says, you're living stones to be a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. Now, we know he lives in us individually. We know that he, he, he inhabits everything in one sense. But in another sense, theologically, he comes in his power and presence when we come together and we are in one accord. When our hearts are joined, what does it mean to join our hearts? That's a big topic because in order to understand that, we've got to unlearn this idea that the brain is the center of our being. The heart is the center of our being. How many have ever heard me teach on this a little bit? Raise your hand up. Okay. The rest of you maybe weren't listening. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. We have to understand that we join our hearts. The, our hearts, our will, our, the decisions that we make are the center of our being. We join our hearts to one another. And what does that look like? And how do we do that? Um, in, in such a short time, it went from 120 to 3,000. How many would say that's a big deal? Now, the next, the next verse after this, the Holy Spirit comes. Suddenly, it says, they're praying 10 days, 120 of them, 10 days. Oh, the Shekinah glory. Now they maybe not didn't use that word, but I'm emphasizing the understanding of the Hebrew culture. They believed the presence that was in the Holy of Holies. The veil was ripped. They, They knew this, but that presence of God was coming to indwell them and to rest upon them. That's amazing. The glory of God that literally could be seen over the tabernacle, the light, the fire by night and the cloud by day. The fire was coming. And it says, suddenly, 
there, filled, there, there was a sound from heaven. It filled the whole place. It was like a rushing wind. Literally, nobody had a microphone blowing on it either. It was literally. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And fire came in the room and rested on each of them. The, the glory of God came and rested on each of them. Now, the outcome of that was 3,000 in one day. 3,000 in one day were added to the church. Now, here's the verse. This is such a big verse because this, this can be a model for us. This can be uh, almost like a spiritual, maybe, you know, elements. Let me put it that way. These are elements the same way that a plant needs, you know, it needs carbon dioxide. It needs soil. Uh, it needs light. How many understand that a plant needs all those things to grow? Well, this can be like a model or an understanding that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. What were those things? And we're going to unpack all of those. But I want to look at the first thing here. It says they continually devoted themselves. What was the secret to their devotion? I bet there was so much anticipation within them. It, I remember when we first started the church, um, many of us, and there's uh, some of us that were, uh, some of you in this room were with us from the beginning. There was this anticipation when we'd come together. And there was this anticipation when we're setting up all the speakers. We used to meet in elementary school. How many were with us then and remember that? Those early mornings and making the coffee and doing all that stuff early. And, and there was this anticipation, though. There was this somehow, uh, this synergy where we knew that people were going to get saved. When we first started the church, every message was on salvation. Now, it's not always like that. Because we're equipping an army. Amen? The church is not just a place for evangelism. It's a place to be a dwelling place for God's spirit, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But people are evangelized, and it is new covenant theology to see evangelism in the early church. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians. He said, prophesy if someone comes in your midst and they're uninformed or they're not a believer, and they will worship God. Amen? You remember that, you remember that verse? But we understand that there was this anticipation when we used to gather. But why is it sometimes that we lose that devotion? I don't feel like necessarily we've lost that devotion here. But I feel like we have to grab a hold of what the devotion of the early church was. How did they devote themselves to one another? How did they actually, uh, you know, actually live and lay down their lives for one another? Uh, so I want to I break down a few different things, and I'm probably not going to get to all of them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the first one, and it's choice. Say choice. In our culture, especially movies, Hollywood, we think that love is this mystical thing that just enraptures our will. Now, there are things such as beauty, and there are things that attract us and pull us. But how many know that love is a choice? We don't fall in love like, oh my gosh, I tripped and I fell in love like you fall on the ground. Uh, we don't fall into sin. We point our hearts in at the wrong direction or the right direction, and that's where we gravitate to. Now, in order to understand devotion, and I'm going to be breaking down the word devote in just a minute, but I want, I want you to understand, you, could, you don't fall in love. Like, oh, you know, the Bible says love God and love your neighbor. 
Have you ever thought like, you know, I just don't really feel like loving my neighbor because I never just, I never felt like I needed to love my neighbor. I never felt that magic towards my neighbor. The Bible says you just, you're supposed to love your neighbor. It's a choice. And so something that we have to get in our culture is that from our hearts, we choose to love. Love is a choice. Love, there's a commitment to love. Uh, When you look at people that love each other, you look at a group of people that have been together for a long time, a family, you know, a big a family that, that's been together for some time and they love each other. You're looking at people that have chose to commit. You're looking at people that even though they might not have agreed, they chose to stay together and commit together. That's what it means to be continually devoted to one another. Say choice. We have been given a free will from the very beginning. The reason you ever ask, why did God put that stupid tree for knowledge and good and evil in the garden? You ever ask that question? Because if he didn't, we wouldn't be capable of love. Because you're not capable of love if you're not capable of choosing. Love is a choice. It's a big deal if we understand it. Sometimes we make up excuses too. and, And we get our mind and our heart confused. See, your mind sometimes... Thoughts can just come in, right? But you, you can guard your heart. See, the mind is like the gatekeeper of the heart. If you just let thoughts go rampant in your mind, but you don't take them captive according to what the Scripture says, then they'll drop in your heart, and then they will fester and become a part of you. But see, your mind is not the same thing as your heart. Well, I, I didn't choose the thoughts that come in my mind. Yeah, but you choose what direction you point your heart at. You make decisions. You have a will. We have to understand the power of choice. God has given us a free will and he does not control that. There's something about this word devote that we have to get the the choosing part of it. When you look at people that have been married for 15 years and they still got it. Yeah, that's right. Me and my wife. That's right. Praise the Lord. And they're still lovey-dovey and they kiss and they're affectionate, and they hold hands. They have, you're looking at a, at a couple that have chose to be committed. You're looking at a couple that has said, through thick or thin. Do you know that even the, the actual marriage covenant vows come uh, from the Old Testament with Naomi and, and with, uh, uh, with Esther? Did you guys know that? And it, and it says that, you know, where you go, I'll go. Or no, not Esther, with Ruth. With Ruth and Naomi. Where you go, I'll go. That, that turned into wedding vows. Till death do us part. That's a decision of your heart and your will to be in covenant with one another. Love is a choice. Say choice. They continually devoted themselves. In the Greek, let me read you a few definitions what it means. To adhere to one. To be his adherent. To be devoted or constant. To be one steadfastly attentive. To give unceasing care to a thing. To continue all the time in a place to preserve and to faint not. To, to show oneself courageous for. To be in constant readiness for one. To wait on constantly. Jesus said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, if you love me, it's going to be shown by your commitment. Even in some translations it says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's not what he was saying. Like, if you love me, will you please keep my commandments? I am the Lord. He's saying, no, if you love me, it's going to be shown by what direction your life and your heart is is aimed at. Love is shown in commitment. And 
in order to devote ourselves like they did in the early church, we have to live from the heart and we have to make decisions. Amen. The word devote literally means if you break it down, devote. We understand that we vote uh, as a country, as a nation, we vote as a state, and we vote for people in office, governors. Um, how many voted this last? Who'd you vote for? No, I'm just kidding. And we vote every four years for our president, every two years for senators. But the word vote literally means vow. Now, we don't really understand that, you know, and, and we try to, but we're not supposed to like make vows. The Bible talks about that. But the word literally means to vow. Devote means to vow. In other words, if you are devoting yourselves as a Christian, it's an act of love and love is a choice. It's an act of worship. It's an act of love. They are literally submitting themselves together and devoting themselves as the early church did. And it means to vow. Colossians 3.14 says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The word bond is where we get the word ligament. It's what holds the body together. We have to understand that putting on love is a choice. You know, if, if God commands me to love people, people that I don't love are people that I've not chosen to love. Amen? People that, oh, I just don't really love them, or I, that's, that's because we've not chosen to love them. Love is a choice. And the Bible says, put on love like a garment. Put on love, which is the bond of perfection. If we want to stay in love, then we must put on love. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 through 14. Let's look at this together. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 2 Corinthians 13. I think that sometimes we really complicate things. And it's simple. Love is a choice. Love is commitment. Uh, love is simple. Say, love is simple. When we live from the heart, it's easy to choose to love. Because we live from the heart. I love you. And there's a covenant that we have with God and a covenant we have with the people of God. And we're going to break down the word covenant a little bit more um, in the future. But I, I want to I focus on the word devote, this act of worship and love. But I want us to read a few verses in 2 Corinthians 13. We're going to read 11 through 14. He says, Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Say that with me. Say, be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. He's telling them, this culture knows it much more. If you live in peace, if you set your heart on peace, shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, order, divine order, the peace of God, and then that, that God of peace will be in your midst. He will manifest through you. Now, it says here in verse 12, I like this one. Greet one another with a holy kiss. This, is, this verse is on my bedroom door. I say, honey, you ain't leaving nowhere. Look what the Bible says right there. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. Say, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, the next verse says, all the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I love that. The triune Godhead seen in community. Here's what I want to stop and look at. Verse 12 of all verses. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
We're going to start doing that. What do you mean, Pastor? I don't want to kiss you. The acronym for KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. Every time you read this verse, I know this can be translated a holy embrace, and so we embrace one another. But let's keep it simple. We complicate Christianity by all these things in our mind. It's like we just love each other. We're God's people. Love God and love one another. Jesus summed up all of the prophets, all of the Bible, the whole Bible. He was summed up. He says, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's that simple. Say, greet one another with a holy kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Look at your neighbor. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. We have to simplify it. I want to read a verse to you. Acts 2.46, just after verse 42. So continuing daily with one accord, there it is again, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. We have to be simple of heart. I'm very simple of mind. Amen. In many ways. Why are you laughing at me, mother-in-law? I'm simple-minded, huh? Now we all know. the whole. You laughed in front of the whole first service. But guess what? I'm going to choose to love you. I'm choosing to be committed to seeing you transformed by the glory. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got you back. Simplicity of heart. Another translation says sincerity of heart. What you see is what you get because we live from the heart. I love one of my mentors, Harold Everly, taught me that uh, some of you have maybe heard this, that there's, I need some help here. Jonathan, would you come up here real quick? I want to show you something. There's a, there's a tribe in Africa that he, uh, Harold Everly has been used as a, a missionary and apostle in different nations. And, um, and in, in Africa, he planted over 2,000 churches and has Bible colleges in like eight or nine different nations. Uh, within the last year, he's turned those over to the covering of Bethel Church in Reading, which they now oversee because he's focusing on Pakistan and the Middle East. And, um, but he taught me that there is a, a, a tribe in Africa that they live from the heart. See, we as Westerners, we don't quite understand the simplicity of heart living from the heart. But they greet each other with this handshake where they shake their hands this way. Then they go like this. Then they, with their hand open, cover their heart, and then they open it up and swing it like that. So every time they greet one another, it's like this. Boom, 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 boom. And they swing their heart. So they're saying, my hand over my heart, and here's my heart right here. And if they do that, and let's say that Jonathan, like, you know, oh, I did it wrong. Sorry. Like this, like this, like this. And I went like this because maybe Jonathan drove my car and he scraped it and didn't tell me. I'd say, we need to talk, and I got something in my heart against you, and you, you, you've been hiding this from me. In their culture, with their very greeting, they live from the heart. And they don't hide from one another. They don't sweep things under the rug. Oh, bless you. It's so good to see you. But inside you're thinking, this sister is so getting on my nerves. She always got something to say. They greet one another from the heart. I have nothing against you and I love you. Isn't that awesome? The Bible says greet one another with the holy embrace. Keep it simple. Just live from the heart. Let's do it one more time. It's a fun handshake. I think we should start it. Bam! Just like that. Give Jonathan a hand. Keep it simple. Choose to love. Love is commitment. 
It says in the Bible here that they were continually devoting themselves. To vote, or, or devote means to vow. It's, a, it's a, a Christian act of worship. Like we're literally devoting our lives to one another. I always love like that word devotion. Like I got to do my devotions today. But you know that we're supposed to be devoted to one another? We're supposed to be devoted to God. And we're going we're gonna to continue um, to unpack this verse. And I want to teach you a practical understanding of what it means to join your heart together. This is so important for us in marriage. It's so important in family that we got to join our hearts as a church family. What does it mean to join our hearts together? I want to read this verse to you one more time in verse uh, 46 of Acts 2. So continually daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Would you you stand with me as we close? So I'm just going to simply ask you to lift your hands with me and we're going to pray. Just begin to just open your heart and say, God, I want to learn how to be devoted devoted to what you've called me to do. I I give you my heart right now. Ask you to pair DNA. We will occur of heaven. And I believe that we're seeing it, Father. But we want more. So we open our hearts and we pray that the spirit of devotion to vow, this act of worship from our hearts, the simplicity of just loving people, the simplicity of being bonded to people, choosing in our will, in our hearts to be committed and to be committed to you. God, we pray for that spirit of devotion that they were continually devoted to themselves. They were continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Lord, we give you our hearts right now. We thank you. Pray this with me. Say, Father in heaven, I surrender my heart. I want to unlearn past devotion. I want to know what it means to be wholly devoted to you, to your bride, to the world. I give you my heart completely in Jesus name. I make a decision to love, to be committed and to be simple in Jesus name. Amen. Just seal it with praise. Come on. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.